Well, good morning, Crossroads family. It's good to be back with you. After a couple weeks of you enjoying uh, messages from several of my teammates, I feel very blessed to be surrounded by an awesome team, and that team includes people like Jeremiah and Andrew and Andy and Ryan, who also teach. And, um, you know, whether I'm up here or one of they are up here, what's most important is that God's Word is taught, and uh, that's what we're here for today. Uh, You know, fall is in the air, which means the temperatures are getting a little cooler, the leaves are starting to change. We've all had the opportunity to bask in the delightful delicacies deep fried at Franklin Street. I mean, if you haven't had a chance this past week to get your fill of uh, deep fried wonderful, you may have missed your opportunity, I guess, by now. But something else that's in the air this fall is love. I've been to three weddings in the past two weeks. I've officiated a couple of those, and I have two more weddings in the next two weeks. I don't know what uh, Cupid is doing, but it seemed like this year people were falling into love, and so uh, we're just celebrating that. And I'll be honest, uh, I've officiated a lot of ceremonies, and as I'm watching that bride be escorted by her father down the aisle, my mind is racing quickly to June of 2023, Will I will not only be the officiant, but also a new title, Father of the Bride. So, um, wow, that puts it really in perspective. But the next two weeks, I have the responsibility of actually wrapping up this series that we've been working through, the letter to the Romans found in the New Testament. And um, I know it feels like we've spent a long time there, eight weeks so far, But if you're like me, it feels like we've really just scratched the surface of what Paul has to say to the Romans. In fact, I hope you're taking advantage of some of the resources we've provided for you. Uh, We gave you an opportunity to purchase a journal that has lots of good devotional material in there, a place for you to take notes. Also a reading plan and a seminary level course on Romans. I hope all those will be ways that you'll continue to study the book of Romans. In my reading through the Bible this year, right now, um, Romans is what I'm reading through. So it's like all coming back together. And I can tell you there is more there than you could ever learn. And so keep being a student of the letter to the Romans. As we've said all throughout our study, the gospel is the central part of Romans. You might say that Romans is all about the gospel, the central mantra, the focus throughout the entire letter. Now I want to make sure that we all remember what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news. And it begins with who God is. It begins with God being holy and righteous and merciful and gracious and just and forgiving. And also, because he's all those things, he wanted to have a relationship with us and he created us for that purpose, but we caused a problem in that relationship and that problem is a three-letter word, sin. You and I, every one of us, have all chosen to disobey God at some point or other in our life and sin separates us from God. That wasn't okay with God and so he did something about it. He decided to wrap himself in human flesh and come to this world in the form of his only son, Jesus, and to give his life to pay the penalty for our sins. And that penalty is death. Jesus' death on the cross brings forgiveness to us through faith. We can be reconciled back to God, have a relationship with him once again because of what Jesus has done for us. And our response to all that is to place our faith in Jesus Christ and live a life that glorifies him and serves him by being part of what he's doing in the world around us. That, my friends, is what the gospel is all about. 
And tethered to that theological unpacking of the gospel all throughout the letter from Paul to the Romans is this how to live that out practically in our lives. Some people would say that when Paul gets to Romans chapter 12, he turns all to the practicalness of living that out. But if you go back through the entire letter, you see it from the beginning all the way to the end. Today, we're going to be looking at what Paul has to say in Romans 12 and 13, if you want to turn there with me. And I think that maybe in this moment, it's maybe clearer than ever what it looks like to live a life that's in response to all that God is and all that God has done for us, a response to the gospel in our lives. Paul has already told us that we live as live through faith, not as slaves to sin or to the law, but we live as slaves to righteousness. We also live in freedom and power and victory that is given to us through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and through the power of the Holy Spirit. If everything that Paul has said is true about the gospel, then we should be living in response to it. And the way that Paul describes that response is maybe no more plain than the words that we're going to look at here today. Let's begin with chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says these words. Therefore, remember when you see therefore, what Paul is saying, because all this is true, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul states plainly that the rationale and the motivation to offer our bodies as living sacrifices is the gospel, the the mercy that we've received from God. And we are those people who, like in Romans 1, are described as exchanging the truth about God for a lie and decided to worship created things instead of the creator. We're like those people that Paul describes in Romans 3 who have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of the mercy of God. And through Christ, we've all been offered mercy. So how do we respond? Well, Paul says, I urge you. And that urging means that he pleads with us, he encourages us, he beckons us. You might even say he begs us to offer ourselves, to present, to yield, to surrender our bodies, not just our physical bodies, but all of ourself, our our whole life as a living sacrifice. That's a continual offering, a lifestyle. Paul says this is holy and pleasing to God. It is our true and proper worship. Some translations will say that it is our spiritual, our reasonable, our rational response is to offer our lives to God because of all he has done for us and giving us the gospel, his mercy. God's mercy has consequences. It has implications. It has results. It requires application. In the Old Testament, the priests would offer animal sacrifices. They would slaughter animals to seek God's mercy and forgiveness. Those of us who have received mercy and forgiveness through what Christ has done, through his sacrifice, we offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices. We're not making a sacrifice. We're actually being the sacrifice. So what does it look like to actually be a living sacrifice? Well, Paul answers that with several descriptions as well as instructions for us. Let's continue reading in verse 2. He says this, Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, 
and perfect will. The person who has truly sacrificed himself or herself to God will be distinguished by one overriding characteristic that will inform the rest of their lives. It's an unwillingness to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Commentator J.B. Phillips says this, don't be squeezed into the mold of this world. When Paul uses the word world, or at least translated the word world, it's probably better translated age. Don't be conformed to the age of our, of, uh, uh, to this age. And it carries with it the methodologies, the beliefs, the philosophies, the strategies, even the practices that we find in our fallen world in which we live. It's the same that has happened and is true about every period of history from the moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. Our current age is no exception. Each and every one of us is bombarded with messages day in and day out that present a picture of life or a way of living that says it promises freedom or brings freedom or is an expression of freedom. But Paul says the way that the world lives is contrary to the way we should live. This good, pleasing, and perfect will that he describes is our way of life. The question we might have to answer is this. Do we really want that? I mean, the culture around us tells us that the way to live is to first by looking inside of ourselves and identifying our greatest desires and leaning into that desire. And to then surround ourselves with people who either affirm or celebrate the way we're living according to that pleasure. And then to find ourselves some expression of faith that will support that way of living. But from the very beginning of Paul's letter to the Romans, he's actually said it works the opposite. The first thing we're to do is to look up to find our identity, our purpose, our meaning in life from God and God alone. And then to intentionally engage in relationships around us that are all pointing to that same source of God as the the one who brings meaning and purpose and identity to our life. And then to look into our life and see the ways that God is at work in us and through us. We've got to step off this hamster wheel of the culture that tells us our identity is found in so many other things that vie for our attention, our affection, our our, uh, devotion. That we have to change our way of thinking, Paul says, be renewed in the way that we are thinking so that we can live these lives that are living sacrifices, filled with God's good and perfect and pleasing will. So, How do we do that? What does it look like? Well, Paul now just begins to provide for us instruction in description. And so let's start by looking at what he says in verse three. He says, the first way to do this is to be humble. Follow along with me in verse three, where Paul writes this. For by the grace given me, I say to each one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. It's by grace that you and I have been saved so that we don't boast or brag. We recognize that we are all in the same condition, sinners who are saved by grace. And so we think of ourselves with humility because we know that we didn't do anything to get ourselves into that situation. But we also look at other people differently. We consider ourselves better than nobody else because we all have found ourselves in this situation. And Paul says, faith and grace, 
That is what drives our posture. And it stands in the face of the showboating or the need for attention that seems to permeate the world around us. Paul says, that isn't how you should live. You should be living differently as living sacrifices, and living sacrifices are humble. Paul then says, be united and be useful. Let's continue reading now in verse 4. For just as each of you is one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so it is in Christ. We, through many, though many, uh, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy with the accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then Give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul has used the human body as a way to illustrate how the body of Christ, the people of God, are to work together and fulfill our function. Working together to accomplish God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. The world we live in today is highly individualistic, it's highly competitive. You might even say it's highly dysfunctional. I mean, getting a group of students to work together for a group project or getting collaboration to happen with a group of fellow employees, getting a group of citizens in a community or in a, in a state or in a country to work together for a common good sometimes just doesn't seem worth the headache or all the effort. I wish the church was different. I wish the church looked better than the, the world in, when we work together or when we at least try to. I love to see signs when we do it better. There's an example of that just recently as a collection of people from here at Crossroads made up of people of different gender, people of different ages, and certainly people of different experiences or gifts all converged on a home here in our community to do what would have taken one or two people weeks they were able to accomplish in a day by helping meet a need of the homeowner. It's a beautiful picture of what can happen when all of us do our part and bring what God has gifted us to contribute to the whole. You have an opportunity to do that at our next Love Our City uh, moment. You have a way to express your giftedness in ways that would collaborate with other people and accomplish something that you might not be able to do on your own. Paul says it's a beautiful thing when we see the body of Christ functioning like the human body, each part doing its part. And every one of us is essential to that equation. Peter said these words in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in his various forms. We here at Crossroads talk a lot about living and loving like Jesus. And we believe that living and loving like Jesus involves being with God, being with others, and being sent. We think about being sent, it starts by identifying the ways that you have been gifted, as well as investing those gifts into ways to serve God and serve others. We just don't want to talk about that all the time. We're trying to resource you to be able to live that out. One of the resources that we provide is the roadmap. If you go under the roadmap under the Be Sent section, there's an assessment that you can take, it takes you a few minutes to do, that would help identify the ways that God has gifted you, some of the passions that you have, and 
ways that you can use those gifts and passions within this building or within Crossroads or outside of these walls. Next weekend, on the third Sunday of every month at 1015, in the Welcome Center, right off the atrium, we have an opportunity for you to actually see those gifts in motion. We call it the Serve Tour. It's a backstage kind of visit to see people using their gifts, people like you and me, doing practical things that serve God's kingdom and serve other people. I'd encourage you to utilize all of those resources to help you get in the game, to help you live out what God's created you for, to be united with other people in doing that and to be useful. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said these words, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The church is not motivated by group dynamics or even organizational theories, but rather we're motivated and equipped by the gospel to respond to all that God has done for us by being united and useful. Next, Paul says that we need to love well. Let's continue reading in chapter 12, now in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Verse 13, Paul says this. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Does those words sound like a description of the way the world loves or the way that God teaches us to love? Maybe a harder question to answer is, do those words describe the way you love? I think they sound a lot like a description of how Jesus loved, the way that he interacted with people that he encountered along life's way. I think it's also the representative of the instructions that Jesus gave to his followers to go and love the way that he had loved them. He makes that disclaimer in John 13, 35. The world will know you're my followers when you love one another. He's saying if you have the gospel, if you've responded yes to the gospel, to the good news in your life, it should change the way you live and it should also change the way that you love. So let me ask you maybe some difficult questions. First of all, are you fake or maybe two-faced in the way that you love? I mean, when your boss is standing right next to you, do you really compliment him or her and just celebrate all the great things about their relationship with you? And then when they walk away, you have a few other things to say to your fellow coworkers. You start to badmouth them. Or maybe it's a friend. You're kind and maybe even compassionate when they're in your presence. But when you're texting or, or talking with a friend when they're not around, uh, you share all the things that really annoy you about that friend. I wonder if the needs of your spouse or your child or a coworker, maybe uh, the needs of a friend, are elevated above your needs or are you just so focused and maybe taken over by just your own needs that you maybe ignore or just are aloof to the needs around you? Do you celebrate when good things happen to someone else or do you respond by being jealous? Do you make time to show compassion and take time to care for others who might be struggling or do you just rush through your own day, think about your own struggles or maybe just offer some trite words 
of comfort? Do you associate with lowly people? Well, what does that really mean that Paul's describing there? Well, it could be people who are not like you. It could be people that you don't agree with. It could be people who get on your nerves, people who maybe are described by you as messy or have baggage. Maybe it's just people who are lonely or needy. The gospel changes the way we live, and when we live as living sacrifices, we love the way that God has loved us. We're humble, we're useful and united, and we love well. Paul next says that we stay encouraged. I skipped over these two verses. I wanted to put them together in this thought. Verses 11 and 12, Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I was having a breakfast with a friend this past week. His name's Mike. He's actually involved here at Crossroads with the Point Man Ministry. It's a very valuable ministry to veterans and their families, not just here in our congregation or community, but actually it's spreading across the nation as other outposts are being developed from the ministry that started right here at Crossroads. We praise God for what he's doing through the Point Man Ministry. It's a valuable service to those who have served our country. He was talking to me about one of the trainings from the boot camp experience that they put all those that they're ministering through in the point man ministry. And it talked about the difference training as approach when training a Navy SEAL. It's a comparison between what might be seen as endurance to perseverance. And the person talking said, when training a Navy SEAL, if they were to approach it only from endurance, they would put a point five miles out into the ocean and say, swim from the shore to that five mile point. It's about physically being able to endure that challenge. But actually, um, perseverance is saying get in the water and start swimming with really no marked destination. That's what perseverance looks like. Endurance is about gutting it out until it comes to an end. But perseverance is gutting it out and having a different perspective that it might never end and being able to Be strong through it. When you and I have responded to the gospel, we are filled with hope and joy, no matter what's happening in our life in the world around us. Remember the things that Paul has said to the Romans, like there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, that we are more than conquerors when we're in Christ Jesus. That's the perspective we should have, and that should help us Not just endure, but persevere. You know, it's sad to me that there are some Christ followers who are some of the most negative, cynical, impatient people that I've ever met. I think Paul, if he was writing to those people specifically, would say, that's not how it should be. Your mind should be different. You see, you know, um, endurance is about a, a physical thing, but perseverance is about a mental thing. I think that's why Paul says, transform your mind. That's the way to be a living sacrifice. We have the most to celebrate. We have been saved from our sins, and that should motivate us to live differently. Paul says, be humble, be useful, be united, don't, uh, don't uh, or to love well, to stay encouraged. And then he says, don't take revenge. Let's continue reading now in verse 17. Paul says, don't repay evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, we have to remember what Paul is describing here. He's describing how we are to live because of the gospel. Our motivation is how God has treated us. And so our confidence and trust is in God, who is righteous, who is just. He's the judge and not us. So therefore, we will make room for him to work. We don't take matters into our own hands like the world would encourage us to do. Did you notice Paul's word? He said, on the contrary, this is how you should respond. To feed your enemy, to give them something to drink. And that just seems like so counterintuitive, right? Our motivation for that is that we've been saved by God. We have been loved by God, even when we treated him awful. And so we work for peace with those who have treated us poorly or wrongly. Now, Paul is not encouraging us to dismiss or ignore the pain. He isn't asking us to avoid even dealing with the hurt that we may have incurred. He's not prohibiting self-defense. He's not even encouraging pacifism. He's instructing us to seek the good of all people, even those who have hurt us, even in some terrible way, to serve them in hopes that they might repent. My clue for that was that passage where it says, you'll heap burning coals on their head. When I used to read that, even up until this past week, I'd say, yeah, that's my chance. I mean, they've done me wrong. I'm going to do good to them so I can heap burning coals on their head. That's really poor exegesis. In fact, Paul is quoting Proverbs chapter 20. It uses that same phrase. And I had to dig into that. What is Paul and Solomon referring to? Well, in ancient Egypt, when a person wanted to express their repentant state or to seek repentance, they would actually carry a bowl with burning coals upon their head to indicate to everybody who saw them that they were repenting or they were repentant. The motivation for us to do good to those who may have hurt us in some way is that they would repent, that they would come to recognize the error of their ways, and they would, more importantly, just make reconciliation with God, make their relationship right with God. But hopefully that would also spill over to the rest of us. That's our motivation. There's a prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, most people uh, misunderstand his character because they mispronounce the name of the town he's from. Most people say St. Francis of Assisi, but it's actually Assisi. And the difference there is St. Francis was not some pushover, some wallflower. Yes, he loved nature, if you know anything about St. Francis, but he also was a valiant warrior. He sought peace instead of war, but that didn't make him a weak person. In fact, it's one of his prayers that reads this way. Lord, make us instruments of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Again, I think about our motivation. It says to, as far as it depends on us, 
Seek peace with others. Well, how far then should we take it? Well, until peace is restored. What if that never happens? Well, the obvious answer is then we never stop trying. That's what Paul's encouraging us to do. Does that make sense? No. Is that what the world would tell us to do? They would say, cut your losses and move on. That's not what God says. Aren't you glad he didn't treat us that way? Remember the story Jesus tells that reflects his heart and the heart of the Father? It's about a shepherd who had 100 sheep. 99 of them were safe. They were in the fold, but there was that one who had wandered away. And the good shepherd left the 99 to go find that one who was wandering. That's the type of heart that God has. That's the way that Jesus loves. And that's what Paul's encouraging us to do, to not operate the world the way the world does, but to live as living sacrifices. And so therefore, we don't seek revenge, but we love even when it hurts. Even when there's no return from that other person, we seek their good, hoping that one day they'll come to repentance. As much fun as that sounds, Look at what Paul says next. It's at the beginning of chapter 13. He says that we should submit to all authority. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and then you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant, angels of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their time to governing. Give to everyone who, what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You and I, who have the gospel, have to have a different perspective when it comes to authority in our lives because of the gospel. We are respectful, submissive, and trusting in the institutions that God has established, whether that's government officials, law enforcement, employers, supervisors, really anybody that is an authority over us. Paul says that they have been established by God for a purpose, and that's true of even the ones that we didn't vote for, the ones we don't agree with, even the ones who are not leading with integrity. Paul says we have a responsibility, a response to the gospel that says we respect them and we submit to them. We don't demand our own way. We don't live according to our own rules. We don't even think that we know best. We trust God's sovereignty because every authority instituted was instituted by God. That makes you scratch your head, right? It's like, what should I do then when those in authority are, are asking me to do something that I know contradicts God? Well, we have good biblical foundation for that. Go back and read the book of Daniel. We look at Daniel, who was living in a time where all of the authority was in antithesis to God. 
And there's this one moment where Nebuchadnezzar, one of those kings, has a vision. It's a vision of a statue that stood really tall, and its head, and its arms, its body, its legs, its feet were all made of different substances. And that vision was to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar that God has instituted all authority. And at the same time, Daniel and a few of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were living in respect of the authority, but in submission to God Almighty. That's a tension that you and I have to manage. That's a state of our posture and heart that we choose to manage because of what the gospel means to us. We choose to be respectful, even submissive, but our allegiance is to God and him alone. That's going to require us to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment and strength and peace when in those moments. Remember the people that Paul's writing to? It's the Romans. At the time he's writing to them, Nero is the, is the Roman emperor. And after Paul's letter to them, it only gets worse for the Romans. Paul's encouraging them to be ready, be in submission, and honor God. I couldn't close today without finishing chapter 13 because I think it just kind of sums it all up. Basically, Paul says, Live like Jesus. Look at his words in verse 11. Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says there's a lot hanging in the balance of the choice that you and I would make to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Does it go countercultural? Sure. Will people stand up and applaud? Probably not. But in view of what God has done for us and what he's doing in us, our response is to be humble and to be useful and united, to love well, to not take revenge, to submit to authority, to let our lives look as much like Jesus as the Holy Spirit will work in our lives this side of heaven. You know, Paul does a great job marrying this theology with practical living all throughout his entire letter. And remember, he's writing to not people to convince them to believe. It's people who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Probably the majority of us here today. How we live, Paul says, really makes a difference. You know, here at Crossroads, we're trying to figure out what's the best way to connect what we do and say on Sunday morning with Monday morning, for that matter, with the rest of the week. Because what we do in this gathering together is not the end goal. We're not just doing church, my friends. We want to be the church. We're here this morning kind of huddling up to be ready for the rest of the week so that we can go and live as living sacrifices and people would see us living differently and be drawn to the one for whom we are living, the one who's offered us grace and mercy. So we're trying to figure out some ways that we could identify how to do that, as well as celebrate that. And so this morning, I'm just going to end by having a, a brief conversation with someone from here in our congregation 
to ask them, what does your life look like this time tomorrow? And so would you welcome to the stage Katie Whetstone? Welcome her, yes, thank you. Katie, thanks for being willing to have a conversation, and I'll just ask you that obvious question. What will you be doing this time tomorrow? So uh, I work for the University of Evansville. I'm a full-time faculty member. I teach about 150 physical therapy students. Uh, I also, I am a physical therapist by trade. So I also work uh, in the athletics department at the University of Evansville and work with the Division I athletes there. Um, but I will say this time tomorrow, even though it's noon, uh, I'm probably still going to be in my pajamas because it's fall break. So. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, your typical work day looks a lot different than what tomorrow might look like. Well, I want to just ask you, like, where do you see the brokenness in our world today? By what you're doing, the places you find yourself, the places that God has sent you, uh, where do you see that manifest? What are some of the signs of that brokenness? Unfortunately, I see it everywhere, all the time. Okay. Uh, you know, as a physical therapist, I work with individuals' physical brokenness, okay. like their literal brokenness, broken bones, torn muscles, pain, chronic pain. Um, but in the education sector, which I spend a lot of my time there, um, I see a lot of emotional brokenness. So the rates of anxiety, depression, suicide ideation are extremely high. And that's not just in the education sector. We see that in, in healthcare as well. Just individuals that are experiencing pain, going through a lot medically, they're, they're experiencing that brokenness as well. So that's probably the heavier part um, of, my, of my work day. Sure. How do you see the gospel or the good news kind of bringing healing or being um, a, a balm to those, um, those injuries, those, uh, that anxiety, that struggle? How do you see that making a difference? So I wish I could say that it was super obvious all the time. Um, there are a lot of days that um, the restoration, I, I don't get to see it as obviously as I want to. Um, I wish that every person I worked with, whether student or you know patient that I work with, I wish I got to see them all um, come to know Jesus. Um, I wish I got to see the healing, the physical healing, the emotional healing in all of them. Um, but unfortunately, that's, that's not how it works. I don't get to see that in every person all the time. Um, but what I do get to see is um, people who are broken, and I get to meet them in their brokenness. Um, I get to be there for them when they are feeling the heaviness of the stress and the pain and everything that they're going through. I get to be in it with them. I get to see the way that other people in their life are encouraging them in that. Um, and while I may not get to see the healing always while they're with me, I also get to see them go out into the rest of the world and be engaged by the rest of the church, right? We just talked about in Romans how we're, I'm just one part of the body, but I get to see what happens when they experience the rest of you uh, at the grocery store and at the bank and at their own doctor's appointments, how they get to continually be loved by the rest of the church. And so sometimes that restoration doesn't come until years later. So I don't always get to see it in my moments, but I love getting to see it throughout the process. Mm. You know, doing whatever we do on Monday well is 
really an expression of being a living sacrifice. It's bringing glory to God because he's given us those gifts and talents. But it's not always easy. And um, I just would imagine in your line of work, what you do Monday through Friday can be challenging. So how does the gospel inspire you or comfort you or equip you to uh, do what God's called you to do? So the Lord has been really good to me because, um, yeah, it's heavy, right? And it's tiring. And there have been times that I have wanted to quit. Actually, there's been a lot of times that I've wanted to quit um, and and just give it up and do something, I don't know, different. Um, but the Lord keeps encouraging me. He uses people, and that's what's cool about the church, right? He uses other people um, to encourage me. And so that I can continue loving on and encouraging my students and my patients. Um, And so he has made it so very evident to me that I am exactly where he wants me to be in this time. And um, and it's cool that he keeps encouraging me to just be steadfast in that until he calls me to something different. Well, I'm glad you haven't quit. Um, I know people who have received... um, blessing from you as a student, but also as somebody who was in pain and, and needed the skills that God's given you. And I know that you've meant a lot to them. Uh, so that's a, a life well lived. Thanks for being an example of that. And um, we want to keep encouraging you in that for sure. You know, I'm sure here today, there's uh, people like Katie who may be involved in two parts of our community. One, it might be education. Maybe you're a teacher, a professor. Maybe you uh, work in the lunchroom. Maybe you drive a bus. Maybe you're the principal, administration. But you're here today, and maybe you feel a lot like Katie, like COVID hasn't helped uh, people really love their jobs, and and sometimes uh, it's added a lot more responsibility, a lot more frustration. Uh, Maybe you're here today, and uh, maybe uh, we can be an encouragement to you today to do well Monday through Friday through Saturday in your uh, your life, to be living sacrifices. Maybe also uh, there are people here today who are involved in the medical field in some way. Maybe you are a therapist. Maybe you're a physician. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you work at a local doctor's office, or you're a therapist in some type. Maybe you're uh, here today. We just want to encourage both groups of people to um, live as living sacrifices this time tomorrow and the next 365 days a year, right? To do that, just to provide some encouragement, maybe a little bit of a challenge too, is that if you are involved in the education context or the medical context, I'm just going to ask you, would you stand right now? I forgot to mention students. If you're a student in that education piece, that's important too. We'd have you stand in this way. We just want to offer a prayer of blessing over you as you stand. And so, actually, Katie, would you mind just praying for those? Awesome. Lord, I just want to thank you for these workers um, that you have put out into their respective fields to love on your people. Um, Lord, I just, um, I ask uh, and pray a blessing over them. Lord, we, uh, we ask for continued endurance when the days are hard. Um, we ask that um, you keep giving us this renewed spirit and this renewed mind. Lord, some days, um, some days are hard. It's hard to go to work. Some days um, we feel weary and fatigued by uh, the brokenness that's in the world. And Lord, I just ask um, 
that you renew our minds, uh, that you let us treat each day um, as, as something new, each patient that we encounter, each student that we encounter, um, as just another one of your children that we are here to love and serve um, as Jesus did. Lord, we thank you for the skills that you've given us. Thank you for um, minds that can uh, try to perceive and, and deal with complex medical conditions. Thank you for the ability to speak and to teach that you have given us. Thank you for hearts um, that just love people. And we just ask that you uh, send your spirit to help us do that well, even when things are hard. Um, Lord, we just want to serve you um, in the ways that you would ask us to with the gifts that you have given us. And so, Lord, I just ask that you grant favor and blessing out over all of these workers of yours. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. And I'm going to ask uh, everyone else to stand at the same time. Everyone stand. You know, whatever we're doing this time tomorrow really matters. Whether you're a student or you're a mom, a dad, maybe you're a mechanic, maybe you uh, work in a factory, maybe you're a business owner, maybe a farmer. Whatever God has given us to do tomorrow and the next day uh, in our everyday life is an opportunity for us to live as living sacrifices, to honor Him. And to do our work well as a way uh, to respond to the gospel. And so we're going to offer a chance for all of us to say yes to that. To commit to doing that this time tomorrow and the next day. Again, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The way we're going to do that is actually by singing to God. The worship team has joined us and they're actually going to make some statements in song for us to respond to, and the response that we want to sing back is, here am I, Lord, send me. So my prayer is that you would join in with us in this song of dedication, but also live that out well as living sacrifices because of the way that God has shown mercy to us. So let's worship him together and commit our lives to this right now.